Matthew 16 and 24. We'll read that. We'll we'll pray because uh, it's not legit if we don't pray. And then we will go into faith, hope, and love. Tonight we're going to start talking about love. Love is a many splendid splendid thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Love is never having to say you're sorry. That's not true. Okay, let's uh, let's read Matthew 16 and 24 is our mega theme of our discipleship course or class or whatever you want to call it. Then Jesus told his disciples, and that's us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you, and uh, we seek nothing less than to be your disciple. And we're not so naive as to think that, that we are going to do this perfectly. We aren't ignorant and, and don't know what we're asking for, Lord. We understand, according to the words of your Son, that this comes at a cost. But your word tells us there's also a reward. That this is how we build legacy. This is how we build uh, our, own, our own life here. That this is what you are going to do for us. As, and so tonight, Lord, help us. Change our do exactly what your word promises us already. Change our minds, our hearts, our soul, our spirits to be connected with you and you alone. As we discuss love, Lord, may all the 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 outside influences of what love is or should be, may that all melt away, and we may we find what you call love and live our lives according to that definition. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. So we're gonna talk about love, and there's you know. When you start talking about love in our culture, that's a very vague term. You know, I, I will tell you throughout a course of a day, I love my family. I love spaghetti. I love TV. I love naps. I mean, what's the barometer? What's the measurement? I love naps. That's right. Hallelujah. Amen. Good nap. I love my mother-in-law. Of course. That one was the next one before Laura interrupted me. Sorry. Um... <laughs> Uh, but love, what does love mean? First uh, John chapter 4 says that God is love. But what, what kind of love? You know, when, when the Bible speaks about love, what is the Bible trying to convey to us? Is it romantic love, brotherly love? What, what does it mean? And so tonight, to know what it means in, in 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love, well, what is Paul talking about? What kind of love? So tonight we're going to talk about the way the Bible describes love, how God describes love, but what specifically Paul is speaking about. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 and 1, go back there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as a whole is known as the love chapter talks a lot about love. You find uh, love talked about a lot in 1 Corinthians and also in 1 John. 1 John is just littered with, you know, if you know God, then you love his people. If you love God, you love others. If you don't love God, then, then there's no way to love others. Uh, love, love, continuously talking about love. 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and, and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if, and if I have all faith so that as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. 
if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. What Paul has mentioned here, speaking in tongues of men and of angels, prophesying not just the, the telling of what might come or a word of knowledge from the Lord, but the ability to rightfully divide and preach the word of God, to prophetically preach what God has said in his word, uh, giving up everything, sacrificing every good thing you might have, uh, even to the point of martyrdom being set up to be burned. Um, Nero, it is said, would take Christians, dip them in wax or oil, and then burn them alive to light uh, his gardens. Um, possibly a reference to that by Paul. Um, but Paul says if you don't have love, then it's all worthless. I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. When I do something and I find out later everything that I just did was for nothing. It's just a big waste of time. Like why did I even why did I even do that? You know where this always happens? The DMV. Why did I fill out this form? This form does not pertain to me, but I wasted my time with this silly form. Or or why did I you know, I've gone there and waited through the lines. And, uh, and you get up there, and they're like, why did you come in? You have this option right here. Just mail it back in. They're all mad at you like you made them work. It's like, clearly, if I'd have known that, I'd just mail it in. You know, oh, gosh, just wasted my time. I wasted an afternoon. I wasted time. I could have did something else. I don't like to waste anything. Some people see naps, going back to naps. Uh, naps is a waste of time. I don't see naps as a waste of time. When your body needs a rest... Your body needs to rest. That's a good way to spend your time. It's not about being lazy. It's about making sure that you're not going to drop by the end of the day. But this love, you know, Paul repeats it three times in three verses. If I have all these great things that you know so many Christians desire, but you have not love. And if you go into the Greek, um, have not literally means have not. It's a very simple, easy way uh, to understand the Greek there. If I don't have love in my life, then those things mean nothing. And so we have to know what love really is in order to rightfully do these other things, for our gifts to be of any kind of benefit or fruit to anybody else, especially ourselves. So here are some of the ways uh, that the Bible describes love or that we as people describe love that are not what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, is describing or prescribing. The number one is uh, a romantic love. Um, some folks nowadays, because of the passing of the legalization of same-sex marriage, um, you know, love wins. Uh, that this, you know, since God is love, He approves of this love. Um, when the Bible talks about God being love, and here the greatest of these being love, it is not talking about a romantic love between a husband and a and a wife. In the Greek uh, of this time, the word that would be used for that is the word eros. And it's literally the name of, of what we, who we call Cupid now. He was a Greek god who would go around uh, inciting lust and, and romance amongst people by shooting with his arrows. Uh, and eros is spelled E-R-O-S. Um, it's not a word you find in the Bible. I find that with the exception of maybe like the book of, uh, of the Song of Solomon, the Bible uh, leads us towards a different kind of love. It's not that romantic love between a husband and a wife is not necessary or a good thing, but it doesn't deal with it as much as these other forms of love we're going to talk about. Um, we have to beware of any kind of love that leads to lust, a love that is not genuine between a husband and a wife. Um, lust is often 
paraded as and masqueraded as love when in fact it really is just lust, the, the, the enticing of the flesh. And lust um, can involve things like pornography, but lust is really the flesh wanting anything uh, that's, that is not of the Lord and not the Lord himself. So we're not talking about romantic love. If you have somebody that argues with you that God is love, so he approves of all loving relationships, that's absolutely not true. Because this is not the love that God is speaking of here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The next kind of love is parent love, parent to child love. In the Bible, the Greek word used for that is phileo. And it's the love that a mother or a father has for a child. And we see um, God the Father, you know, the, the, the Son in whom he is well pleased, whom he loves. You see uh, parents being admonished to, to love their children, not to, um, not to cause them to be frustrated, to entice them to do what is wrong, but to, to love them. This is a good love. Having, the people who know that are the ones that don't have that kind of love, that kind of loving relationship between them and their parents or them and their, their children. This type of love is a, a gift from God for fathers, for us men. It's something that God has given to us that is, is like how he sees us. So much of what I learn and how I discern what the word of God says is, is me understanding that God is like a dad who loves his kids. And so if I hear a false teaching and it does not sound like a loving father, or if I hear a teaching, I should say, and it doesn't sound like a loving father. It sounds more like a dictator. It sounds more like uh, like a lawyer. It sounds more like uh, someone who is abusing power. Then I say, you know what? That's not a loving father. That's not what a loving father would do. A loving father will discipline and correct, but he will do so for the love or through the love that he has for that child. Now, this type of love is also not the love that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is talking about. When he's talking about love being the uh, the greatest of these, faith, hope, and love, he's not talking about phileo or uh, love between a parent and a child. Next would be uh, love between siblings. I love my sisters and brothers. I do. They're in California. I don't see them entirely enough. I, I joke with them. I love them. I watch them grow up. I help raise a couple of them, um, and I just I just love them like a brother loves a brother and a sister and vice versa. And they love me, and I know that, and, and they're the funniest – some of the funniest people I know, and I, and I just love hanging around them. And now they're having kids, and it's awesome, and, and I love them. This word in the Bible in the Greek is Philadelphia. Okay, we know the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This type of love is, is a, like a deep friendship. And some of us have brotherly love um, for people who we are not blood relatives with. In fact, there are people that we might be closer to than those who are actually our blood relatives. You know, for some reason, those blood relatives, they didn't show brotherly love towards us and our advances towards them. Um, in that way, weren't, there was no response. So you find friends who stick closer than their brother. And that's Philadelphia. That's brotherly love. And that's a great thing. Excuse me, the, the, the church should run deep with brotherly love. When we get together as a church, it's actually it's something that is exclusive to Christians. Because if we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice, we get welcomed into his family, adopted into the family of Christ, and we get new brothers and sisters. 
And sometimes it's, it's weird because we're not all the same. We have different backgrounds, different vocations, different experiences, likes and dislikes. But nonetheless, we're, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and we develop relationships that sometimes transcend our natural relationships. But Philadelphia is not the type of love that the Bible is prescribing here in chapter 13. It is spoken of elsewhere, but this is not what chapter 13 of verse, 1 Corinthians is speaking of. Next is the Greek word philanthropia. Can you guess which English word we get from that? Gloria? Say it. You, heard, you said it. No? Philanthropy. Exactly. What is philanthropy? That is the desire for the benefit and the welfare of just humanity in general. So you see guys like Bill Gates, Ted Turner, uh, donating hundreds of millions of dollars, even sometimes upwards of, of, of a billion dollars for the advancements of medicine, uh, for uh, nonprofit organizations that help and aid those who are homeless and sick and, and that are you know, way worse off than we are. And that's under the umbrella of philanthropy. It's this desire for all humankind to be better. That is a good thing. Praise God that we have people that, that love this church so much. They love it in the philanthropic sense, philanthrop, in this type of way. <laughs> where they just love our church so much and love what we are doing that they 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 give above and beyond maybe their tithe. They want they want to see people have bibles. They want to see people have coffee in the morning. They want to see uh new cushions in the pews or the the driveway being resealed or or they want to see a new roof on the place or just whatever need we might have. They they see the kids need stuff so they want to get the kids stuff. They're looking at uh, humanity and really the church and saying I want what is best for them and I want to be a part of that somehow some way that's a good thing there are a lot of organizations nonprofit organizations that help with with things like childhood cancer uh, cancers in general um, uh, wounded warrior project we have a local organization uh, for life of me can't think of the name of it um, but I know that the, the Muir's benefit from them you have places like Samaritan's Purse what was it uh, oh, there's CareNet. CareNet's a great nonprofit organization to get behind. But when you see that they are fulfilling a need that you can't do yourself, but they're already doing it, you can help them by giving to them or volunteering or, or, or whatever. But this also is not the, the love that's being prescribed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, this isn't all the forms of love. There are a lot of forms of love that are they're generally genuinely just lust and perversion. People would call it love, but really all it is is a mishandling of what God has given us. Um, but these are the types of ways that the Bible talks about and instructs about love. The last one is the one that the Bible is describing here in chapter 13 of the book of 1 Corinthians, and that is agape love. And you've probably heard that term. You see a lot of churches called agape church or ministries that have agape in their title. But what does that mean? Um, if you have the King James Bible, the word love here is not mentioned. It's the word charity. It'll say, you know, faith, uh, faith, hope, and charity abide, but charity, uh, whatever, lasts forever or whatnot. Um, it's rendered as such in the King James, but in later translations, it's more appropriately 
uh, translated into the word love. So what what does this mean? What is this agape love that the Bible's talking about? First, I'll tell you this. Um, let me give you an illustration. Have you ever hurt yourself so bad you made up a word? Honestly, like you can't swear, but it hurts so bad, so you just make up a word. Like fluffanutter. Like I know that's a real word, but you just say fluffanutter. And now that means a sandwich made out of fluff and peanut butter, but right now what's expressing is I hurt my toe, my thumb, my knee, something, but I can't swear, so I'm just going to say fluffanutter. Or or you just son of a biscuit. You ever say that? You guys got scared there for me, didn't you? You just say something like, oh, you make something up because you're trying to express how you really feel. The word agape is a word that was most likely created by Paul. It's exclusively found in the New Testament. It's not really found outside of the Bible at all. It's a word that was created by Paul and the other apostles, uh, the other writers of the New Testament, to express this love that God has for us. It was so intense and big and awesome, and it meant so much they had to make up their own word to help describe what that truly meant. Never lose sight of the how big the love of God is for you, so much so that God created a whole new word for it. It's just for us as Christians. It's just for us as his children. As, as big as it is, though, we have to understand what agape means. Literally, in some of the passages of the New Testament, what it meant was love feast, which sounds kind of 60-ish, and I don't really like it that much. Um, it's, it's got hippie written all over it. No offense if you're a hippie, but love feast just sounds weird. I don't go around telling people, hey, come on over for a love feast. That's weird. Like if people start asking you to do something like that, you might want to check their credentials and where they come from and what they're really trying to do. Love feast for me and what I think what this really was was much like a potluck. I like the name potluck much better than love feast. If we advertise in the community, come over to church, meet Jesus. We're going to have a love feast afterwards. No, they're going to call the authorities. We're going to get in trouble. Um, but if you say, hey, come over, we're having a potluck. Oh, everybody knows what a potluck is. Potluck's awesome. I get to bring food, and I get to eat food, and there'll be food left over afterwards. It's this amount. There's just there, we could have six people, and have three of them not bring food, and we will have so much food at a potluck that we will our sides will be splitting, and we'll be taking home with us. Why? Because food has a way of showing feelings unlike anything else. You ever go to somebody's house? They just want to feed you continuously, like. Let me give you food. What are they trying to do? They're trying to love you. They're trying to express to you love. And they always they never just give you like this small plate of food, right? They just un like all of a sudden they have this feast in front of you. I have this Aunt Yolanda. I have a mother-in-law who does the same thing. But I have an Aunt Yolanda who um she'll make things, she'll come to your house and she'll make you this feast. He'd be like, I didn't I didn't even know I had that in the fridge. How did you make that? And it would just be amazing. You'd be like, man, Aunt Yolanda really loves me. She has poured out love upon us. This picture, this imagery of a love feast or a, or a potluck um, is, is agape love. The idea is that God has poured out his love upon us for no other reason than he loves us. Agape love is not merited. Agape love is not earned. 
Agape love is not entitled. Agape love is the choice of the lover to the person whom he loves and has decided, I will pour out my love upon that person. They have not earned it. They have not done anything for it. But I love them so much. It is why thousands of years before any of us were born, Christ would go to the cross and die on our behalf. He would go there in obedience to the Father, but he would go there because he loves us that much. Why would he, why would he do that? Have we done anything to merit that love? No. No, the Bible tells us, in fact, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans chapter 3, I believe it. I know it's in Romans. I don't know if it's chapter 3. 1 John 4 and 9 says this, and 1 John, like I said, is full of this agape love. In this, the love or the agape of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. <clears throat> Excuse me, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. What we're taught and what we're told is that this love, as it's poured, about, poured out upon us, if we are like a bucket um, and we, we, we hoard it for ourselves, it's not a true indication that uh, we're living according to Christ. But if we become like a conduit where the love's poured out upon us, then we too in turn can pour that love upon everybody else. I can now love people who do not deserve love because Christ first loved me. We are very good at, I mean, me, we as people in general, myself included, measuring people and their worth and whether or not they deserve our love. Truthfully, there are people who have hurt us, and the type of love that we wish we could shower them with, we just simply cannot because they will take it and, and take advantage of us, and they will hurt us. And, and honestly, that type of love poured out on them will be to their detriment. It will lead them down. It will enable them. It will lead them down a path that uh, gets them deeper into maybe the hole that they're in. But agape love can be expressed through you know, I love you, but I cannot, I cannot affirm what you're doing right now. I don't agree with you. I think you're hurting yourself, and I love you so much that I'm willing to separate myself from you because of what you're doing right now. That is, that is, psychologists might call that tough love, and I think that tough love in and of itself is wrong. I think that this type of love is a love that is seeking the best for that person. You know, sometimes we, we're tempted to give to those who are homeless. I think that's a great thing. Sometimes sometimes just throwing money at a problem, though, is not always the best for you and for them. You know, what are their names? I think that if we've given to somebody who is homeless in the street and we don't know their names, I think maybe we're doing it wrong. If if we haven't sat down and talked to them, now truthfully, you, if you can get that far with some folks, you find out real quick if this is a scheme or a need, right? You find out real quick, just get... Well, I can go buy you a meal. No, I just want the money. Okay, I see where this is going. I can't, I can't do that. That's still loving because you're, you're seeking what is best for them. And you're doing that not because you even know them. You're doing it because you know Christ loves them. You know that God has died for them. 
First John 4 and 13 says, By this we know that we abide in him, that is Jesus, and he in us, because he has given us the, uh, of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that love, uh, the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Our faith in Christ and the love we're expected to share with others, they're, they're deeply connected and intertwined. You can't, you can't separate them. You cannot claim to be unloving and have faith in Christ. You cannot claim to love Jesus and not put faith in him. They are, they are connected. Now that faith, truthfully, the, the rest of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that, that faith will one day be satisfied. You know, when we get to heaven and we see Christ as he really is and we abide with him forever and ever and ever, I don't think we're going to have to exercise a lot of faith. I mean, there he is on his throne, high and lifted up. I mean, where's the faith? There is no need for faith. The, the hope, if we've already there and we see it, the, the hope has been satisfied. But that's why Paul says that love remains. The love will continue to be showered out upon us, that we will continue to be loved by our great and loving dad who is in heaven. Our faith and our love, they, they will go hand in hand. You cannot separate them. You cannot have one without the other. One can be weak and one can be strong, but we have to work on them both. Our faith in Christ, that leads to love in other people. Now, before I leave you with a burden to try to be more loving towards people, let me, let me alleviate that burden before I ever give it to you. Turn to 1 John. It should already be there. Chapter 4. If you're not there... You missed the first two scriptures. Hopefully you wrote those down. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says this. We love, we agape, we pour out, we love other people who aren't worthy, who don't deserve it, who, who, or maybe they do, but either way, we pour out this love. Why? Because he first loved or agaped us. Just like faith last week, I was going over my notes. I always use last week's template or, or, or structure for this week's notes. The same thing that we need for faith, Jesus having faith first, power, empowering our faith, we need Christ to love us before we can love others. It's really hard sometimes to love those who are unlovable. There are some people, they just rub us the wrong way. There are some people in certain settings it makes it harder to love them. I mention again the DMV. I'm sure these people out in the world, they're pleasant and a joy to be around. But you get them behind the desk. You give them a days full of just being uh, berated with, with either just a lot of questions, good and bad. They're getting uh, told to do this and not do that, and people are rude to them. And then you get to them, and they're like, Rrr. it's hard to love them. You know, you get the guy who's short with you over the loudspeaker at the fast food place. You ever have that happen? Like, you go and you're like, order, and like, what do you want, basically? Like, are you trying to sell food? Like, that's your job here. Did I come to the wrong place? You are trying to move this stuff, right? Like, you're not a fast food hoarding place. Like, you want to get rid of it. Um, You know, I'm, I'm sorry I'm putting you out for helping me out. Those people are hard to love. 
the uncle that always needs to crash on your couch and always needs money and, and, and is always, you know, taking. Hard to love them. It's always an uncle, too. Like, I've done the math. It's always an uncle that needs to crash on the couch, needs money, needs to be bailed out, is <laughs> separating from his girlfriend or his wife again. It's always an uncle. Those people are hard to love. But the Bible commands us to still love them. How are we going to do that? I'll tell you this. It is impossible without Jesus. But with Christ, all things are possible. For some people, it's going to be really easy to love them. They come in. They're going to encourage you. They're going to make you a tray of brownies. And they're just going to be really – man, I want to hang out with that person more. Hey, I got brownies, and they're a nice person to be around. And other people, it's like – Oh, life is – it's like basically hanging out with Eeyore all day. It's like, oh, got to hear this story again? Like, gosh, you're making it really hard to love you right now. And and how are we going to love them? We're not going to do it without Jesus. We're absolutely going to need Christ. And what we have to always remember is to see ourselves in their position and seeing Jesus where we're sitting and knowing that he never – at least I don't think he ever says things like, oh, here we go again. Here's Tony again with the same prayer again. I've already told him that this too will pass. And if you could just be quiet for a minute. There's, there's All I ever find is Jesus in his word and, and just, I love you. And I have what's best for you. And I have a will for you that is to prosper you and to, to cause you to grow and to be somebody that, that you weren't on a road to be. I find a, a, a father in heaven that has unlimited patience for me and my foibles and my mistakes and my and my just everything. And so when we can start there, maybe, just maybe, then we can turn that towards, you know, loving our enemies. You know, you know, for us, loving our enemies is probably a lot different than for people in Iraq right now. People who are facing ISIS. We don't have that problem, do we? ISIS isn't breaking down our door. Oh, sure, we've got celebrities and politicians who are, are trying to limit our rights as Christians. I get that. And, and they can only take away what they first gave us, right? They can't take away what Jesus has given to us. Amen? Um, but we're not facing ISIS. I'd take this any day of the week over facing ISIS. I'm not so foolish and naive to think, oh, if I was there, I'd stand up to them, blah, blah, blah. No, I don't. I, you know what? I'm not there, and they are. Maybe, maybe God knows something about me that I don't. Loving your enemy, loving your neighbor, the key here is to love. And love doesn't mean you accept everything they do. It doesn't mean you approve of everything they do. It doesn't mean you like everything that they do. It doesn't mean that what they did to you was not sin. It doesn't mean that they haven't taken advantage of you or that you should just forget everything they've done to you. It means that at some point you're going to have to love somebody who cannot love you back. And that was you and Jesus one day. And Jesus still loved you. Agape, poured out, love feast, a love you cannot measure. So rather than how am I going to love people like that, go back to Jesus. Jesus, how are you going to help me love people like that? Because I meet people every day that I don't want to love. Loving them is an investment. I'm inviting them into my life, and there's going to be a definite cost. This discipleship course, we measure, we, we want to 
see the cost and be realistic. Jesus said to count the cost. Don't be like the foolish builder who didn't have enough money to finish the project. No, don't. Let's not be foolish and, and, and disregard the cost of being a disciple, um, but let's also not be foolish and disregard the reward. It's God is a rewarder of his people. We can do things for others that we know will lead to a reward for us. That's not selfish. God has promised that to us. We should abstain from doing it for selfish reasons, but we also have from the Lord promises that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So the cost of all this, the cost of all this, the greatest cost that I think, aside from time and and, and that sort of thing, is really pride. Because at some point we're going to have to love somebody that we don't think deserves it. We're going to have to love somebody who falls short of our expectations. And sometimes we're going to have to love them in a way that maybe we're not used to, meaning meaning we're going to tell them no, and that's still going to be love. You know, when you do have the, the uncle that just always needs to crash at your place because he refuses to grow up and, you know, won't, you know, keeps skipping out on work and quitting his job. I mean, sometimes enabling him just to crash on the couch all the time isn't helping, but it's hurting. True love would be, you know what? Let's do something else. I'm not going to kick you out, but we got to find a way to correct this. And you might not be the one to fix them. I had an uncle once. It, the person who fixed them was, was somebody that he, that he met in jail. That's how he got to know the Lord. It took that. But he got to know the Lord. And it took somebody showing agape love to him. And, and, and that's, that's the reward of all this. The cost will be our pride, but there's something about the love that God has that when he gives it to you, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like, like a free ride. You know the Monopoly get out of jail free card? Love that card, right? You try to sell it halfway through the game because you're not landing in jail. The minute you do, you land in jail and you just desperately need it. Um, grace is not a get out of jail free card. Grace is unmerited favor from God. Not only has he poured out love upon us that we don't deserve, but he lifts us up to a place that we have not earned. And when you share that with some people, not all people, some people will take it, run, take advantage of you, and, and you know what? We did our job. But some folks, you do that, and it will change their life. You show them an unmerited love, and it, it just it destroys everything they ever thought about life. Um, man, you know, what is this? Why, why do they love me? It doesn't lead them to betray you. It leads them to Jesus. The reward is is watching someone else's life and your life change dramatically. All all the the rewards that we would naturally seek after, big toys, big stuff, big money, it's all trinkets, man. It all burns at the end. All this stuff, homes, money, I mean they're good to have, not not evil to have those things, but in the end, you leave them to somebody else, right? What lasts? What you do for the kingdom of God. For those that you will meet in heaven and you'll know that you played a part in their life. I had a friend once who got caught up in, in drugs and he was talking about how he got out of that. And how he got out of that was his grandfather who showed him agape love. Everybody else was, was disowning him, kicking him out, not wanting him to come around. But his grandfather continued to love him. 
and it got him out of that. Some people take advantage. I mean, that's what happens with God's grace, right? Through God's grace, it hardens some people's hearts. For others, it breaks their heart, causes them to cry out to God. This is the reward, along with other things that God might do of his own will and volition. But, but this is the evidence that we can see in the Word and we can see in the church that we see a life that's completely changed. I that is reward to me. That is what we're seeking here at the chapel. We are seeking that people would come to know Christ. We, we don't need more people here to just fill up our pews. We need people who will come in and be wrecked by Christ and give their lives to him. That's what we want. And if we're not doing that, we're not doing our jobs. We want to, you know, I, I dream, and, and gosh, I still got 20 minutes. I, <laughs> I envision, I, I want, I desperately look forward to a time where we have to have um, different, you know, separate services on Sundays because there's too many people on a Sunday morning. Like people are sitting on the floors because they want to hear about Christ. They want to, they want to see more than what their life, what they've been given. They've read, they've tasted, they've seen that the Lord is good and they want more. They want to contribute. They want to serve. They want to help. They want to love. They want to, they want to go across the world to become missionaries to other countries. You know, they want to they want to lead Bible studies and 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 teach the kids and make coffee in the back and and clean up the front yard thing and they want to just help. They just they're not satisfied sitting and doing nothing. I look forward to a day when we have to build a bigger church. Man, won't that be It could be a bunch of sticks and hay over the top. It's just big enough for everybody. Really don't care. Don't have to have multi-million dollar sound system and all that kind of stuff, although Dan would like that. Um, we we just want to fit everybody in that's going to come in. Wouldn't it be great, and this is this is a big dream, and, and you guys maybe will call me foolish, but that's okay because I'm not going to get rid of it. Um, it's not a jet because all of a sudden I sound like Creflo Dollar. Um, <laughs> but I look forward to a day. I'm, I'm hoping for a day where it's not just me, it, it, but it could be us uh, saying, you know what, let's have – Let's have service at the Carrier Dome. Wouldn't it be great to have a festival or a, or, or a church service where we have to rent the Carrier Dome, like 30,000 seats where people come all around just to hear about Jesus? You might say, that's foolish. You know, they probably told Billy Graham that was foolish too. And he'll, he did that time and time again, year after year, city after city, country and continent after continent, because he just followed the Lord. Now, that might not be for me. I'm okay with that. I really am. It, what, what do we have here tonight? Twelve people? If I only got to pastor you twelve for the rest of my life, I'd be happy. I really would. Um, but I also want to preach the gospel to whoever will listen, whoever will hear. And sometimes that's sitting down with them for a cup of coffee. Sometimes that's preaching from like I am now. But but we have to have a desire for that. And if we aren't in our word, if we aren't praying to the Lord to change us, to, to remold us, to fix us, to, to allow us to see what that agape love looks like and how to share that with others, then we won't do any of these things. Because Paul said, without this agape love, it's all clinging symbols. It's all, it's, all, it's all for naught. Filling up the carrier dome without love means nothing. Preaching right now without love for you means nothing. Having the kids go back there and, and, and not having love and not teaching them about Christ, nothing. You going home and, and, and not loving your spouses or your children, nothing. 
Not having love for those people you work with, it means nothing. So we must have this kind of love to fulfill anything that Jesus wants us to do. And to have it bear any kind of real fruit. So we want to pray about this, I think. I think that um, this is like trying to move a mountain. It really is. Some of us don't know what agape love feels like, what it should look like, and that's okay. Because I have found times where I've tried to look for the make or the model of how to do things. I find that I end up just copying them, and I lose the love aspect altogether. Lord, what should I do here? Following the voice of the Lord, following the Holy Spirit in each and every situation. Let's pray together. Let's pray about what our needs that we have. And then let's let's begin to seek out not just we don't need to God give us the agape love. The Bible tells us he's poured it out upon us because he loved us first. We've we've got it. We have it. It's it's pouring down upon us right now. We see it best through the cross of Christ and what he's done for us. Now how Lord, how do we how do we share that with others? How do we you know this is going to be a sacrifice, and sacrifice hurts. I don't know of a way of sacrificing that doesn't have a cost. So we're literally going to ask the Lord to help us to do this because we can't do it ourselves. Lord Jesus, you are good, and we read your word, and that's just confirmed. But you're so much better than us. You, you, you are so much higher than us. Isaiah 55 says your ways are, are higher than ours. Like the, like the sky is higher than the, than the, than the earth. The heavens are from the, the earth. That, that gap or distance, that's, that's what it's like between our ways and your ways. And truthfully, Lord, there are those people that we, we look upon, and it's not that we judge them. We just think, you know what? They've hurt us. And we have evidence that they do not deserve our love. But, Lord, that was us. You had evidence that we did not love you. We sinned against you. We chose to rebel against you. We chose to live for ourselves. We chose to be our own God and our own people, Lord. And, and not just us, but generation after generation, people and culture after people and culture have decided to disobey you and to rebel against you, Lord. But your word says that you showered us with this love a love that we did not merit, a love that we did not earn, a love that was not that we were not entitled to. That you so loved us that you gave your only son Jesus to faithfully walk and carry his cross, to be nailed to it, beaten and bloody, to die for our sins. Not only to die for our sins, but to be resurrected to conquer sin, Satan and death. In the greatest of all miracles, the greatest of all redemptions, and the greatest of all acts of love. Father, I thank you that there is other forms of love, you know, romantic love between a husband and wife, and, and parent-to-child love, and, and brother and sisterly love, and uh, philanthropy-style love, and, and love that is brotherly and sisterly between uh, Christians uh, within a church family. But Lord, I thank you for this love that looks upon me and when I don't deserve it, still showers me with that love. It causes me to want to repent for, for everything that I can think of and even things that I can't think of. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness and, and I see my unholiness in your great holiness. Father, I pray that for us.
Help us to look upon the world in a way that sees not what people have earned, but sees the love that they need. If it is a stern word or a rebuke or a correction, may it be that, Lord. If it's a, an encouragement and just a reminder that we, you know, we just, I just love you. Lord, may it be that as well. But do what your word has already said. Help us so that we might be used by you. And for all of this, Lord, may you be glorified. You are the one true God. You are the Son of God, the, the, the Most High, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You're all, you're all of that. And you're the best, Lord. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.